Hebrews chapter 4 this morning. We're picking up from last week, and we're going to get more discussion of God's rest and what He has in store for His people to follow Him if we're willing to receive it. So, Hebrews chapter 4. The author continues and says there in verse 1, Therefore, since a promise remains of entering His rest, let us fear, lest any of you seem to have come short of it. For indeed the gospel was preached to us as well as to them, but the word which they heard did not profit them, speaking of those uh, Israelites in the wilderness there on the edge of Canaan. Uh, But the word which they heard did not profit them, not being mixed with faith in those who heard it. For we who have believed do enter that rest, as he has said, so I swore my wrath, they shall not enter my rest. Although the works were finished from the foundation of the world, for he has spoken in a certain place of the seventh day in this way. God rested on the seventh day from all his works, and again in this place they shall not enter my rest. Since therefore it remains that some must enter it, and those to whom it it was first preached did not enter because of disobedience, again he designates a certain day, saying in David, Today, after such a long time as it has been said, Today, if you will hear his voice, do not harden your hearts. For if Joshua had given them rest, he would not have afterward have spoken of another day. There remains therefore a rest for the people of God. For he who has entered his rest has himself also ceased from his works as God did from his. Let us therefore be diligent to enter that rest, lest anyone fall according to the same example of disobedience. For the word of God is living and powerful, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even to the division of soul and spirit, and of joints and marrow, and is a discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart. And there is no creature hidden from his sight, but all things are naked and open to the eyes of him to whom we must give account. Seeing then that we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus the Son of God, let us hold fast our confession. For we do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weaknesses, but was in all points tempted as we are. Yet without sin, let us therefore come boldly to the throne of grace, that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of need. A homeless man, believed to be living on the streets of Bolivia, fled police who were bringing him news of a $6 million inheritance. Thomas Martinez, age 67, apparently thought the police were about to arrest him for his alcohol and drug habits. The man disappeared without a trace, causing Bolivian newspapers to speak of him in the year 2000 as... A new millionaire, paradoxically not knowing his fortune. The inheritance came to Mr. Martinez from his ex-wife, who inherited the money herself from family members. She evidently did not blame him for leaving her several years ago. The man has never since been found. An inheritance is something that you typically want to know about. (laughs) Uh, Some of you may have been left something in a deceased relation's will at some point in your life kind of an interesting sociological thing. I mean, it makes sense, but it's like, hey, I, I knew you, and so now that I, I'm dead, how about you have my boat? I mean, it's kind of a kind of interesting thing to think about. Uh, those sorts of inheritances are, are great gifts to be given, but if you don't go to the reading of the will, and if you never make it down to the harbor, you're not going to realize that there's a free boat out there waiting for you that, that somebody wanted to give you. God has promised an inheritance to us as his people, and we've been talking about it for a chapter or two in, the, in this book already. And in this section of Hebrews, the author is reminding us that it's all too easy to miss out on the benefits of our salvation in our daily lives. There are some Christians or groups 
or traditions that altogether miss the daily interaction of God in the lives of his people. Um, sometimes, whether people mean to or not, salvation becomes all about being saved from hell in the future. And obviously, we, we care very much about that. Um, but then practically speaking, for some Christians, that's it. You know, we, I get saved, that means I get a ticket into heaven, and I get to have my ticket to hell taken away, and then that's kind of it. There's no indwelling of the Holy Spirit, there's no gifts to be given to build up the church, there's no daily filling and flowing of God's power in your life. Um, they view Christ's work as a future salvation, and then sort of live out life as if they've been left alone by God to just try not to sin too much. And that's not a great version of Christianity because it really misses out uh, on so much of what God intends for our lives here on the earth. And then there are some Christians who don't really take into account God's work in saving us from our past, forgiving those sins that we've committed. You know, um, yeah, this is something that we probably all struggle with, but we give our lives to the Lord, and then there's that danger of always feeling guilty or condemned as if God you know, may not really be able to overcome the things they did in the past. And, and for each of those Christians, there is a greater understanding of all that God has done and still intends to do in the lives of his people. In Scripture, the Lord directly says that we do not need to feel condemnation, that he can make all things new in our life if we surrender our lives to him. And it's not that we forget the things we've done in the past, but in Christ there is no condemnation. Our sin and our guilt have been purged forever. And Paul is a good example of that, where obviously, probably Paul in his humanity felt a great deal of sadness and, and regret for the things that he did to God's people before he was a believer. But then having become a believer, he understood that, okay, now I walk with the Lord. Now I live with the Lord. The Lord has made me new. I'm a new man in Christ. David's a good example of this too. Uh, obviously, I'm sure he... Uh, had huge regret about his sin with Bathsheba and the child that they lost. But once the child was dead and it was done, the interaction between him and God where God said, hey, this is what I'm going to do. This is the discipline I'm going to bring into your life. Once it was done, he got up, shaved himself, he ate some food, and he moved on in the Lord. Uh, so for those struggling with their past and the other believers who really only think of salvation as being future-oriented or death-oriented, the Bible comes along and explains that there is a purpose and a power and a, and a rest for our lives today as we live in this time, in this place where God has scattered us. There is an inheritance for us to enjoy today as his people if we're willing to receive and enter into that inheritance and that rest. And what's so wonderful about salvation is that God has dealt with our past. He's taken care of our future. We have confidence in those things. Uh, and then he says, okay, now follow me today. Uh, he, he, hasn't, you know, he hasn't left us alone and said, hey, I'll see you on the other side of eternity. You know, you, you know, I took care of your sins in the past, and I went to prepare a place for you. Now you're floating by yourself. He says, no, I mean, I've, I've dealt with the past. I've, I've dealt with your future. And now I want you to follow me today so that we can do something together to revolutionize this world. Because the world is lost and dying. And the Lord says, hey, I want to I do something through your life today. And what this chapter reminds us of is that failing to follow God into the inheritance he has for us is not only missing out on incredible spiritual blessings that, that the Lord intends for us, but it's also just sin. When we fail to follow after Christ as disciples, when we fail to carry out his commandments and take hold of the yoke that he's prepared for us, that he talks about in his word, then we are showing the same sinful disobedience that the Israelites did 
in the wilderness on the edge of Canaan. And the, the author makes that, that parallel. He says, listen, like these people, he had been talking about them since the last chapter, like these people in the wilderness who God said, I brought you to the land of promise, I brought you to the inheritance, now go in and take it. And they said they weren't going to do it. He says, okay, when we do that, when we fail to enter into God's rest today, we're in sin as well. God brought the Israelites there through the desert, away from the bondage in Egypt, and then he, he brought them there to the edge of, of Canaan, and he said, okay, I have this incredible land I want you to inherit. I want you to go in there. I want you to work there. I want you to harvest fruit. I want you to build cities. I want you to multiply. I want you to be my special people representing me to the nations of the earth. And the people said, we'd really rather not do that. <laughs> we, we're really, you know, not not interested in, in, in what you're offering to us. And the Lord had to say to them, I, I don't think you understand. This is I'm not asking you. I, I'm telling you that you're supposed to go in here. And, and the Lord kind of said to them, hey, I'm not your realtor. It's not that I show you four different promised lands in your price range to see which one you like the best. And I think that's how we think of God sometimes. He comes to us and by his spirit starts leading us somewhere. He pricks our hearts to do a work for him or a service for him. And sometimes we say, well, what else you got, Lord? I, I know you're kind of leading me to do this, but, you know, you're leading me to give, or you're leading me to get involved, you're leading me to reach out, but I'm kind of looking for something in a two-bedroom Saturday morning from 9 to 10, you know, sort of rage. Uh, but, you see, God has commanded us to follow him and go into some land to represent him and make disciples, and he's commanded us to do it today. And if we choose not to do that, then we're disobeying and we're sinning just like the Israelites did. And we're going to fall very short, this text says, of what God wants for our lives. What he, what he wants is for us to enter his rest, get that inheritance, his yoke today. Because it's not only so much better for us as his people, it's also better for the people around us as well. You know, the Lord brings us to specific places. He says, yeah, this is the, this is the, little inheritance that I have for you and for your family and for this time right now. This is where I want you to go in and conquer ground for me. This is where I want you to go in and work and, and till the soil and build something up and multiply and be my people. Uh, and we understand that. And we understand how much better it is for people to follow God when we read about it in the Bible. You know, we, we look at the Bible, we see these examples of people who are brought to that moment of decision of whether they're going to really follow God and and accept what he's prepared for their lives. And we read about it and we understand that it's better for them to just do what God wants them to do. We read those passages where Jesus invited people to come follow him and then they gave their lame excuses. And as readers, we're so disappointed because we understand what they're missing out on. You know, we look at those people in the Gospels and we think, man, you guys are morons. I can't believe you turned down the Messiah's offer to follow him and to go and be one of his disciples. You know, we, I can't believe you chose some silly temporal thing over, you know, the, what Jesus was going to do in your life. Guys like the rich young ruler, you know, it breaks our hearts when we read that because we look at his decision and we think, man, don't choose money over the Lord. Don't, don't choose a few possessions over being able to walk and talk with the Messiah and go and be one of his disciples. And we understand that when we read it, that his money and his you know, his rich young rulerness is so worthless compared to being with Christ. But then the same command and calling into discipleship has been given to each of us as well. And since that promise of rest remains, 
We should fearfully move forward toward the Lord, paying close attention to our lives so that we're not the rich young ruler uh, ourselves. Today, we're supposed to live out the Christian life and actually walk in discipleship the same way that the Israelites were called to go in the promised land, the same way that these other people were called into discipleship. And so how do we do that? Well, according to our passage, we do it by exercising faith in what God has said, meaning we hear God's word and then we do God's word. Whatever situations present themselves to me today, whether they're in, their, they're in the form of relationships or decisions or opportunities or struggles, whatever is coming my way today, whatever God has led me to today, uh, the way I enter into the rest of God and the inheritance that he has for my life is to do the word. It is by exercising active faith in what God has said that he is then able to bring heavenly profit and spiritual fruit to my life. That's what he's wanted to do all along, and he does not hold those things back. What we saw last week and what we can see in our text this week is that we're the ones that hold ourselves back from God's inheritance. God never holds you know, his goodness and, and spiritual maturity and fruitfulness back from us. Uh, we're the ones that hold ourselves back. That was the problem that the Israelites had there in the book of Numbers. They heard the word. They heard the good news of God's promised land prepared for them, and they heard about the new life that they were to live, full of power and help and fruitfulness. But the text says the word they heard did not profit them because it was not mixed with faith by those who heard it. You know, it says, hey, you, you, you heard what God said, God laid it all out for you, and you didn't exercise faith. You didn't believe what he said and move forward as if it was true. And so it says that it profited them nothing. And that generation saw none of the fruitfulness of the promised land. They stayed in the wilderness and and, and there was no heavenly prophet for them. And so God said to those Israelites and to us as well, if we cannot exercise faith, we cannot enter God's rest. That's just the deal, you know. I mean, and I think sometimes we think, okay, well, what do I have to do to win God's favor? And God says, I, I don't, you have to win my favor. I've given you my favor. You just have to exercise faith and walk in it and, and do what I've uh, explained to you in the Word. And so... If we don't do that, if we don't walk by faith, if we don't believe what God has said and do the word, then we're going to be out there toiling in some spiritual wilderness under some yoke that is heavy to bear. The Lord wants to bring us into a very special, power-filled life, but without faith, it's impossible for us to please God. And without faith, we do not find the rest that we're looking for and the rest that we need. Faith is simply moving forward in your life today, believing what God has said. We've seen what God promises to give his people in his word. We see what God has you know, called his people to do in his word. We see what God says is going to happen in the future. But we have to show up as disciples and say, okay, I believe that, and I'm going to live like I believe that. I'm going to walk forward believing the word, doing the word, so that I can receive the inheritance that God has for me. We have to do what Peter and Andrew and James and John did and say, okay, this guy's come and spoken to me. And so I'm going to leave my old life behind and allow Christ to dictate not only my future, but my day today. Now, that doesn't mean that we all leave our jobs and just follow Jesus around because Jesus isn't walking around like he was in the first century then with Peter and Andrew and James and John. But we are called into the same discipleship where we say, okay, I'm leaving the decision making of my old life behind and I'm going to allow you to dictate what I do and how I do it. That, that's, that's what faith is, and that's the, what discipleship is in the life of an individual. William Barclay wrote, 
It is one of the facts of history that wherever men have taken God's word seriously, things have begun to happen. When people take God seriously, they immediately realize that God's word is not only something to be studied. It is not only something to be read. It is not only something to be written about. It is something to be done. The word of God is penetrating. And as we read the Bible, we should come to the conclusion that God wants to do something through our lives today. As we look, whether it's the Old Testament or New Testament, as we're reading the Bible, hearing God speak to us, I think we, should, we would come to the conclusion that God wants to do something in my life today. He wants to teach me something. He wants to use me in some way. He wants to glorify himself through my circumstances and through uh, my little life. This passage certainly says so. And so we should come to the understanding that God is saying he wants to take his power and work it through our lives in the sorts of ways we see him working through his people in the scriptures. And if we believe that, we should act like it. Uh, now, obviously, there are different dispensations in the Bible and throughout human history. We don't expect our lives to mirror Moses' life, you know, in, in the exact same things, you know, happening. Nor do we demand that God do the exact same works in our lives that he did in the apostles as far as saying, okay, well, God used his power to raise the dead through the apostles, so that's what, I, that's what he's going to do through me. Um, that's not what the Bible teaches. But what we, when we read the Bible, we should understand that for us, as God's people, nothing is different. Nothing is different for you than, than, than Peter experienced. In the sense that God is the same. His power is the same. His plan to save is the same. The need is the same. If anything, the urgency and necessity for God's work is greater than ever, as the time of his return is sooner than ever. And so this chapter pleads with us as God's people to remember that the work God wanted to do in and through the lives of the Israelites and the, and the work that God wanted to do in and through the lives of the first century Christians is the same work that God wants to do today. Same power, same plan, same rest and inheritance made available to those who are willing to follow. And so today we're asked to pay attention, to hear God's voice, to soften our hearts, and respond by mixing that word with active faith. And, and, and saying, okay, I'm going to do the word. Not just read it, not just know it, I'm going to do it. Every day, the, this passage says, there remains more rest for God's people, more spiritual fruit, more of a heavenly inheritance for us. So we must be diligent to enter that rest. We shouldn't run from it. We shouldn't put off the spiritual life in order to live an ordinary life. Our text there at the end says that we can go boldly before God and claim the inheritance of his power and his grace and his mercy and his peace that he has promised to us. And we do that by living out our Christianity today, following God's leading. Not living in affiliated Christianity, but an active Christianity, where our thoughts and our opinions and our decisions are motivated and dictated by what God has said in his word. And if we do that, the Holy Spirit says, man, you will not fall short. He says, if you'll do this, if you'll do the word, if you'll do what I've, I've explained to you, then you will not fall short. You will be filled up with, with heavenly profit. Uh, today is the day, using the analogy from Sunday's sermon in Jeremiah. Man, let's get in the arena today. Let's get out there and compete for the gospel. And so let's leave this place and conquer ground for Christ, our King, in whatever situation that you find yourself in. Amen? Mm -hmm. All right.